Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is the Find Your Form podcast, where we aim to seek out inspiring individuals with motivating stories in hopes that they can provide others with inspiration and motivation as well. I'm your host, Jake Wells, and this is episode one. My guest today has done many things. He's been a reality TV star, an American ninja warrior, a firefighter, and he has a new coffee company, Bearded Man Coffee. He's a good friend of mine. Please welcome Ryan Sutter. Ryan Sutter, yes. welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming in, taking yeah. the time out of your day. Um, yeah, don't tell my boss. <laughs> right. This is after hours. Yeah, right, right. right. 8 p.m. Man, yeah. whew, it sure is late. Dark out early. <laughs> right. Uh, well, so just to dive right in, I think a lot of um, listeners, a lot of people that would know you probably come from maybe your experience on The Bachelorette, mm-hmm. right? Or would you yeah. say maybe that's where most of your fan base lies? Yeah, I think um, if you're a fan of me other and not a member of my family, you're probably coming, it's probably coming from social, from some sort of media type of environment. Sure. So yeah, more more specifically The Bachelorette, although I try to, you know, I've, I try to also say, you know, especially lately I've I've done a couple of Ninja Warriors and things. So every now and then I'll get a 10 year old that will come up to me and want to talk about Ninja Warrior, which I much prefer over <laughs> Bachelorette. <laughs> but um, so it's been it's been cool. That whole ride the last, you know, it's been a long time. It's been almost 17 years since that show. So it's been a long ride and we've met a ton of interest and I've met a ton of great people and have, a ton, have had a ton of great experiences. So I, I kind of joke about it, but I really it has been a a super impactful, important part of my life and has opened up a lot of doors and I probably wouldn't even be talking on this podcast if it weren't for that show. So <laughs> right. it's, it's been a good thing. Yeah. 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 Seems like a um, pretty wild ride, huh? Yeah. Like, I mean, because that was the Bachelorette was a spinoff mm-hmm. of The Bachelor, right? Yep. Yeah. And that was the first episode. Yeah. First yeah. season. Yeah. Trista was on the first Bachelor and she finished second so they made her the first bachelorette and then that's where I entered the picture and, and, you know, the rest is history. I actually just did an interview earlier today with a guy from the New York post on NFL players that have ended up on the bachelor or the bachelorette. And, um, there've been a surprisingly large number of people usually, I mean, they're not the, like the Peyton Mannings of the world, but guys like myself who were, were just in the league for a little while and then out and didn't gain a whole lot of recognition, but, um, like Jesse Palmer, for example, who's now an ESPN analyst, was mm-hmm. on The Bachelor, or was it was The Bachelor mm-hmm. once. So that show has just it's been around for so long now. It's gobbled up so many different demographics and different sorts of people have been on it, and it's kind of a fascinating phenomenon. One that it even still is around, mm-hmm. and two, just the kind of kinds of people that have kind of come in and out of that world. And I mean, seventeen years. You said, right, this is when mm-hmm. that show came out. I mean, that was on kind of the, f- the front end of, like, the reality TV show. Yeah, there scene, was, right? um, yep, exactly. It, there was, um, MTV had a couple, um, like, Road Rules and right. one other. And then all of a sudden, The Bachelor and Survivor and American Idol came out. And those uh, kind of kicked it off. And then, I mean, obviously, we all know now there's, 
no shortage of reality television programming. So, so yeah, it's it, that. But those those three, especially in those MTV shows, were right at the forefront. Yeah. So I mean, you and I have known each other for I'd say at least ten years, mm-hmm. um, and I mean we've chatted quite a few times and and got to know each other, and you always seem really reserved, you know, pretty yeah. soft-spoken. So how was that whenever you were to, to be in such a, to have such an intimate scenario going yeah. on in real life? Like how, how was that to have that be so public? That was um, difficult. Yeah. Although it didn't feel public at the time, you know, at the, at the time it was, as soon as you kind of got used to the camera people, um, they, they were just kind of in the background and the focus was mostly on Tristan and I, honestly on having fun with the other guys that were on the show, we all got along really well and it was a good time. The difficulty came when the show started airing, watching it was hard and just the, seeing yourself, just see, well, or? seeing yourself and then seeing your, you know, soon to be wife with other people. And like, it's, it's not <laughs> right. something I would recommend for any kind of relationship. Sure. You know, it's not, not a good way to try to make a relationship start off on the right foot, right. but it was the reality of our situation. So we dealt with that. And then, and then just the onslaught of, um, you know, like good morning America's and tonight show and people magazine and all that sort of stuff happened. And that was tough to be all of a sudden thrust into the, the limelight, so to speak, where you're mm-hmm. really, really recognizable face. Um, that was difficult for me because you're, you're right. I would much prefer to be um, out of the spotlight than mm-hmm. in it. Trista did a great job of shielding me from most of it. And then she was also willing to move here, which helped because this isn't Hollywood. This is this place kind of like, um, you know, like like our friendship. You just you just like people because you like the people. It doesn't really matter what they do or where they came from. So that helped a lot. And, you know, and I think both of us really were focused on the relationship and making that work and enjoying our lives together. And, and so we, it worked, but yeah, it was, it was difficult. I, I still wonder how it, how it all happened sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in a good way, have to remind myself that it even happened because life now is normalized to such a degree that it's almost like, that chapter of our life is 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 so faded that it's not really even a consideration on a day-to-day basis so we just think back about it every now and then you know people stop us for a picture or, or something like that but the impact on it the the difficult impact from that part of that show has has long passed and now what, what remains the residual from it is all positive and good things yeah awesome yeah because you were um you were at the Vale Fire Department mm-hmm. when that show was yep. being filmed and, and going yeah, on. Right? Sure, I imagine there's got to be some bonds there that are just unbreakable with um, your fellow firefighters. Yeah, yeah. It's like anything. Uh, whenever you're going through adverse situations with a group of people or another person, it tends to you know bring you together. Mm-hmm. Whether that's a you know two days in football camp or like a, you know maybe it's a bike camp or something where you're just going through stuff that's hard Mm -hmm. um, and you rely on other people to keep your spirits up you know that inherently builds a bond that is tough to break sure yeah Yeah. so you keep in touch with all those yeah there's a handful of guys i'm really still really close with Mm -hmm. i mean 
I, you know, the company I work for now, Vail Custom Builders, building their office right down the street from the firehouse. So mm -hmm. I I'll poach parking there and go in and <laughs> visit those guys. And try, I have a tiny little coffee company, so I try to bring them coffee to pay them back and stuff. But yeah, yeah I think it, that's the kind of, um, I think, brotherhood, sisterhood that exists there. Even yeah. guys from, the, you know, the Denver area or out of state will come up and ask if they can park in the parking spaces and there's no, no one ever has an issue with mm -hmm. with allowing that so it's right. it's kind of cool Do they see much turnover I, I think i would think that if you get into a a program like that like if mm -hmm. you're in vale colorado number one and you've got this um this job where you know it's it's pretty tough to get in mm -hmm. i mean you would think you wouldn't want to let that go you would think um, there's a couple of, uh, of factors that, that fight that philosophy, and, and most of them are economic. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the younger guys that get hired there just can't afford to live here, so they'll, they move to Denver. The schedule allows that to work because it's a two-day-on, four-day-off schedule. So essentially, you're driving back and forth five times a month, and they carpool. That's actually commuting. They're commuting somewhere. from Denver oh, wow. up I here to make it work. And, and eventually that gets exhausting and they start to f start to consider um, front range departments and eventually move on mm -hmm. and then there's also this allure of a bigger city department as opposed to a smaller community department where you're not getting as many fires and you're not getting as many sort of of the of the sort of big sexy calls mm -hmm. or there's a perception of that anyway so a lot of guys leave for that reason some of them actually come back realizing that the grass isn't always greener down on the front range but um, for me, that was always the, the goal. Was it was as much about lifestyle as profession. And any, anything that I was giving up on a professional level as far as number of calls or, or impact in that regard was made up for in spades by the opportunity to leave work in the morning and go for a bike ride or go skinning up the mountain or just to live here. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the show especially helped Tristan and I you know, buy a house and that sort of stuff. So we were able to overcome some of the economic obstacles, but um, but yeah, I, I think if you took if you took the financial side out of it, I mean, how, there's there's in my mind not many jobs better than that. Sure, you know, all that time off to enjoy this surrounding area up here is about ideal. Right, and it seems like like what you're saying about some of the bigger calls. You know, not not necessarily having some of those bigger calls because mm -hmm. we're such a smaller community. Yeah, would be a, maybe a little less stressful on your relationship. I mean, I could imagine yeah. that's a very stressful job and a very stressful scenario for for your relationship and family because you've got two children, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, it's funny when I left, the kids were like, "Wait, what, what do you mean?" It, um, I, I I retired there for about a year ago. And they're just like, well, I'm, I'm still going to tell my friends you're a firefighter. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't realize how much my kids identified um, or their, how much their identities actually were, were related to what I did professionally. So, sure. And it did. Trista, I think, for a long time worried about it. You know, she was home a couple nights a week by herself. And, you know, you're just kind of alone with your thoughts. And she eventually realized that, you know, it's the likelihood of something happening, knock on wood, is, is pretty slim. Mm -hmm. You guys are well-trained and, and they're um, taught to look out for 
potentially life-threatening situations and to avoid those types of things. Some things you can't avoid in life, but that's just, that's every day. Sure. So, so yeah, I think, I think we were, we were able to get through most of those kinds of concerns and, and I don't think anyone was really overly stressed out about it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So here we are, it's, uh, end of August, right? For all, mm-hmm. September's right on the corner. You know, for me, it's cross season is really starting to yep. ramp up. Cross is coming as the hashtag says. <laughs> but, um, so this time of year, do you just get super psyched about football season? Uh, um, I get excited about it. I, for, for the longest time I did it for so long, it was, it was actually kind of hard to watch football because you know, when I was fresh out of it, I always felt like I wanted another chance to get get into it. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm well, you know, the reality of the situation is that I'm well past any any um, benchmarks that would ever allow me to go back to playing football. I've started to be able to enjoy it again as a um, spectator. I still have a hard time going back to college football games. It's I played at CU, and I have a t- hard time going back there because I. It's just it's just hard when so long you've been on the field to sort of take a different perspective and be off the field sure i'm getting better at it and you know what what helps is knowing some of the younger players and getting to you know, becoming a fan mm-hmm. but honestly i'm i get more excited about hockey season now because <laughs> my son plays hockey and and that's kind of our thing together we 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 follow the avalanche obviously and we you know he collects hockey cards in the same way that i used to collect football cards and so I, it's much more important to me to be involved in his life than it is for me to be a fan of football. So that's where I, I really get excited. But I still love watching. You know, I still love you know sitting on the couch and watching a Broncos game and yeah. or getting guys together and and doing that and watching Monday Night Football. It's just I, always, I probably always will that will always appeal to me. But um, as a as a dad, the 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 more special moments are those ones when we, when I can sit down and watch an ass game with Max or we can go to a game or something yeah. like that. Sure. Yeah. So are, is that your team, the Broncos? Yeah. I think just growing up in Colorado, my, 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 my dad used to take me to, at the time the Broncos training camp was in Greeley at university of Northern Colorado. So, I mean, I was the kid with like all the cards and the books and like waiting like, yeah, Mr. Elway, Mr. Elway, you know, all this sort of stuff and trying to get, autographs and staying late and and I actually went to a um a couple of football camps at that same at the the northern Colorado venue so it was that you know they they're just so ingrained in me there was a period of time when Brian Greasy was the quarterback that I uh had a a really hard time I did not not care for Brian Greasy We, we, we played Michigan when I was at CU and he was there and I just didn't like him. Yeah. So, um, that was tough, <laughs> <laughs> but with that, with the exception of that, I think, uh, I've always been, and I'll probably always will be a fan. Yeah. So, I mean, was that as a child growing up playing, I'm assuming you played, you said earlier off, off air that you were playing, you got into basketball Yeah. playing, I'm assuming football, mm-hmm. um, at a young age. Yep. And so as a, I'm assuming that life, you know, lifelong dream would be to make the NFL. Yes. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, were you recruited outside of the NFL to play uh, or outside of um, football 
to play any other sports in college or you just I wasn't guy? even recruited to play football I, I at CU? No. Oh, yeah. Okay. I guess I was recruited um the the sort of the the tier I was recruited within were like the Colorado School of the Mines, mm-hmm. some Ivy League schools, which sounds great, but the, they don't actually give out at the time. Maybe they've changed, but they didn't used to give out athletic scholarships. I think they have to have changed because there was that whole like people buying their kids way in on the rafting team or whatever. So yeah, that it, at the time though, it was you had to get an academic scholarship via the football team or something. And you know, I grew up a CU fan. And so um, I just had kind of always wanted to go there. I had a buddy who was recruited by CU, so I kind of tagged along with him to a couple of recruiting uh, events that the, that the college had. And then I just um, asked for an opportunity to walk on. And so that's how I ended up at CU. I just walked, walked on to the program. I eventually earned a scholarship there. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of that's how it went for me. I, I remember being younger than my son Max and people asking me what I wanted to be when I grew up and I was always a football player mm. um, or ironically a firefighter or and there I always threw cowboy in there as well so <laughs> I've got I mean two of the three it could, and I think there's still time to maybe get a horse or something it's I don't always know time for yeah. Cows. <laughs> yeah so so yeah and, and and that's why you know even though I know it's it's super unlikely for you know anyone to make it even into to college athletics, but especially into pro athletics, I, I would never discourage anyone from trying or having that dream. Cause I remember people saying to me that, you know, as a five or six year old saying, Oh, you like, you can't, but what do you really want to be? Like, you can't be a football player. And mm-hmm. I was always like, no, that's what, that's what I want to be. And it worked out for me briefly. Um, I, you know, some of that's luck and some of it's, you know, being in the right place at the right time and working hard and all that sort of stuff. But I'm I'm all for I'm I'm of the philosophy that kids should be able to dream about being whatever they want. I mean, there's there will be a time when real life hits them and they'll have to make hard choices sometimes, but sure, not at 12 years old. Right. I don't think. Right. Yeah. So, and so you got drafted, right? Like, so you mm-hmm. went to CU, and yep. then did you go four four years there? Graduate five, five yep. years? Yeah. I was officially four and a half, five seasons of football, and four and a half of school yeah and then got drafted by the Baltimore Ravens right yep yeah but you never played for them no I played uh two I think two two or three preseason games for them and then I was released by the Ravens and picked up by the Carolina Panthers Mm -hmm. I went through the rest of the preseason with them and then they put me on their developmental squad practice squad essentially and I was on that for nine weeks and then activated the 10th week to the active roster, the 53-man roster. We were playing the Jets. Uh, Vinny Testaverde was the quarterback, and I was, I was going to be the um, nickel and dime safety. So that's essentially normally there's four defensive backs on the field, and when they put five or six on the field, passing situations, they, that's what I was going to come in on, which we would have been in a lot of the time, although I never got that far because I was also on the special teams and on the opening kickoff of that game, I um, just dove out to trip up. I don't remember who the running back was that was turning the, the kick, but the way that I landed on my arm blew my shoulder out and tore, you know, tore my rotator cuff and all my sh- sort of like shoulder ligaments and tendons. And that required surgical repair, and that was it. So that was kind of the end, beginning and end of my 
NFL career. I did actually go back years later after I met Trista. I, I asked my agent if I could, if anyone's ever kind of made a late comeback. I was 30 mm-hmm. and I got a tryout with the Saints and flew to New Orleans and did a one on one tryout with like their coaching staff and did well enough that they invited me back for um, free agent rookie camp. And I went that, which was super fun. I went and played, it was two days, two practices a day. And the second practice of the second day, I tore my Achilles tendon. Oh, I was having the time of my life. Like yeah. I had zero pressure. I was with all these college kids who were like, you could just feel the tension. Sure. And I was running around like fifth grade recess, having the yeah, time of my life. Relaxed. Was set to sign a free agent contract and come back for minicamp. And then, and then I got hurt again. And so at that point, um, it was, you know, that was kind of the, the sign that you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to have, I wasn't going to be a long-term NFL player Sure. in, you know, who knows how it would have turned out anyways. It probably, probably turned out better the way that it did. But so I tried, you know, I had those two opportunities and both ended in, in significant injuries and, mm. and here I am. So how did, how did you cope with that? Like if you're, you know, kind of childhood dream is to become to make it to the NFL mm-hmm. which you did yeah right like officially it's yeah you, you made the dream or the dream happened but then to be injured in kind of essentially the first play of of the season yeah um to put you out I mean is that how 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 difficult was that and, and then how did you what kind of coping mechanisms were you it was difficult um, you know, after the shoulder injury, uh, I was focused on trying to rehab and come back. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the way the NFL sort of works is you, you're more, it's, you're more of a commodity than anything else. And so the second I got, I got doctor's clearance to go back, the, um, Panthers released me. So mm-hmm. I never really got a chance to go back. I ended up going to the Seahawks training camp that year, but but mostly just sat on the sidelines and, and watched. And it, that left kind of a bad taste in my mouth that, that it, it, it kind of removed the enjoyment from the game. And that helped in, in a weird way mm-hmm. to say, like, I don't even know that I want to play football anymore. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Right. So, so um, when, when that end of that preseason ended up happening, I ended up not making the 53-man roster. I went – I went to Costa Rica for three week or six weeks with a buddy who was there studying Spanish and just kind of relaxed and regained my bearings and came back, started looking into what I wanted to do, went back to that sort of four and five year old time of my life and said, well, why don't I look into the fire service? There were a lot of parallels with team sports within the fire service and there were a lot of things that appealed to me. So I went down that path and got my EMT and, you know, sort of every step I took towards that goal, um, kept encouraging me to keep going. Sure. And then I ended up getting hired at Vail and, and that happened. And, and so, um, I, I think, I think that profession helped smooth things over a little bit. I was talking to somebody about this earlier about people that leave a sport and I certainly never got to the level where I was, I was heavily recognized for my athletic, my athletic achievements outside of the University of Colorado. But you, you, you get this firefighting similar. You have this inherently 
positive stereotype usually. So people look at you with some, a certain degree of admiration. And that along with the fact that your life is pretty well regimented for you, so you're not making a lot of decisions. And you know when your meetings are and when you need to be in the weight room and all this sort of stuff. And then suddenly that's gone. So you're planning your own life and nobody really cares about you anymore. You know, you're sort of in this like, well, like last week I was on this team and I knew what I was doing and I had this purpose and it was it felt really cool. And then all of a sudden you're on your own and, yeah. and you're trying to find a replacement for that or come to grips with that or, or whatever the case may be. And I think that's a difficult position to be in. And it's not just athletes. I think you see that from um, military personnel sure. or even, you know, emergency service personnel. I struggle with that a lot currently. Just, you know, you go to the doctor and you fill out your, what's your profession? And I used to put, with a, with a certain degree of pride, I used to put firefighter on there. And now I, I can't anymore. I'm like, oh, that sort of sucks. You know, like I kind of <laughs> miss that. Like I felt, yeah. I felt good about having that as a part of who, who I was. So that, that part's tough. And that, I think that's the same, that's the same issue that I confronted with, with football is, you know, when you're driven to, to try to find success in something for so long and, and that be, that's the focus of your life and the, and a major part of your identity. And then it's just, it's sort of removed, you know, without your really willingness, mm-hmm. then, then it's a struggle for sure. Yeah. It's a bit of an identity. It's like, that's how you identify, right? Identity right. crisis a bit, you know, it's like, this yeah. is how I identify. This is who I am. And to be, you know, for you, like you were saying, to be, to be so used to being on the field, mm-hmm. you know, and now you're watching from the sideline or even from the, the bleachers, you yeah. know, and that's, um, not an easy progression for a lot of people, you no. know? And I think no. that, that you see that in, in professional sport, obviously, right. Your, your window there, especially with football is, mm. is so small. Right. Um, you know, like with endurance sports of, you know, which is kind of my background, it's, um, the window's a little bit bigger, right. A little longer. You can kind of shift around a little yeah. bit and, um, kind of find that balance, um, maybe a little bit easier than you can with, um, some of the more contact sports. Yeah. I mean, t- I think to some degree, but inevitably you always, you always find yourself in a position where you're, where age kind of, kind of starts to take its toll or younger kids coming up or, are 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 just tough to compete with. And so you, you confront having to adjust your, what you, what you define as success and, and endurance sports actually were a big part of, of, me overcoming a lot of the um the effects of leaving sport of leaving team sports because i i do um better with a goal and you know like i said a lot of the the team sports stuff was regimented it was stuff was you know agendas were given to you but you can find a lot of that through um personal sports endurance sports individual sports you have to create a lot of it on your own but you can find goals you know, I started doing triathlons and, and, you know, that's probably how we ended up meeting. And then, yeah. you know, I've gotten to become friends with guys like Josiah and people in a whole different world of sport. And you can be, you know, the, there's a whole nother community there. And that, that helps you sort of replace one um, component of your life with another one that's different, but similar. And it can and kind of start to satisfy those things. You know, I needed, I, I needed a physical release. So, you know, so many guys leave 
sports and just just quit. You know, they yeah, just, just quit trying it to, yeah. And it, it's it's hard to stay in shape and um, stay strong and pay attention to your nutrition and that sort of stuff when no one's telling you how to do it anymore. Sure. So I needed something, and endurance sports did, and still kind of fill that gap. Oh, it's weird now. Like I don't, I don't necessarily look for the forward to the competitions as much anymore. I, I like the process of getting ready for the competition more than the actual competition. So that's yeah. kind of reversed a little bit. I think that's really common though. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I think certain people, right. Um, you know, I think there's just a certain people are wired that way of, yeah. they, they don't, they're not really driven by the necessarily the competition right. element. It's just the prep yeah. and the training. You right. know, and like you said, the, the consistency and the regiment of knowing what they're going to do that day and, and what that benchmark or goal is that they're striving toward, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, um, but then there's those people that are just driven solely by the, the W, you know, yeah. the win and the, right. the beating someone, right. anyone, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, that's, that's. It's interesting to hear that because that's that's exactly how I find myself, and some of it's forced because I knew, I knew I was never gonna, you know, I'm never gonna win an Ironman or I'm never gonna win a Leadville 100, mm-hmm. so it's just a, it's a, it's a competition against myself, and I want, I get competitive. I mean, I ride hard, sure, but I just know, whereas I was always wanting to go to the NFL to the highest level, and you know, I wanted to be on the All Star team and the starter and all that sort of stuff. It it's not the same type of um, approach with my current athletic kind of endeavors. Well, and I think that's what's maybe more intriguing about endurance sports is one, like Mm -hmm. you said, it's kind of a personal sport. Yeah. You know, you're not, it's not a team. Um, And you can, you know, very few people go and play football. Right. You know, just on the weekend, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are leagues, obviously, like, you know, there's adult leagues that, Mm um, that go and play. But, um, I think you see that population of people that are out there, um, just challenging themselves against the course, Mm -hmm. you know, like Leadville is a good example. So, you know, you and I both just, just did Leadville. This is my first one. Yeah. Um, this is your ninth one, right? Right. You just got your ninth buckle. Right. So, um, and so that's, um, I mean, are you committed to doing 10? Are you going to do, you got to get that, yeah, I that, mean, <laughs> that bigger buckle? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I think I w- that was always the goal. Yeah. Oh, was it to was. try to get 10. Okay. Once, once I did two, I was like, well, I may as well try to get 10. Yeah. So two equals 10. I see that. Yeah. So we just kind of, <laughs> <laughs> that's logical. Yeah. But you're, but you're right. It's cool. It's, it's actually pretty cool to line up at a race and Leadville is, is a unique one because you have a lot of, like yourself, you have a lot of the people that guys like me look up to. You've got really fast, really good um, pinnacle of their sport type of riders there. And then you've got people that are squeaking in. Like I love, and like in Leadville this year, I went back at the sort of 11 hour and 50 minute mark just to see sure. the people that are like going to barely make it. And you've got that, you've got those people along with the people that are doing it in six or seven hours on the same course and sure. they see each other and all these guys are flying past you, you, you saying like, good job, keep it up, keep it up. And these are like the, the best of the best. 
So that's a, a super unique, you know, it's not like you can show up on, on football Sunday and go run, you know, go run a, an in route for, um, Flacco, you know, right. like not everybody can just jump on the field and go join their idols, but in endurance sports, a lot of times you can, right. it, if you, if you get in the right races, it, um, triathlons were the same way. Mm-hmm. There's just so many superstar endurance athletes in all of these races that a lot of times there's a large amateur contingency a, a part of sure. you know, with the exception of like world cup type things. You can, you can be right out there with some of your favorite, um, personalities in the sport. And it's pretty cool. Well, and I think that that's honestly a very American way to do it. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, cause you don't see that kind of thing as much in European yeah. endurance sports. You know, yeah. I mean, like if, um, in cycling specifically, mm. you know, there'll be the elite race, yeah, but that's it, you right. know, like we're here in the U S and I guess I think more about like mountain bike racing and especially cyclocross, mm-hmm. even road racing, you know, a lot of times there'll be, um, there'll be an amateur version, yeah. you know, and you can, you can do the amateur race and then you can stick around and watch the pro race or, right you know, for, especially for cross, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's so spectator driven Yeah. where in, in Europe, it's not, it's very, um, I guess, monetarily driven with, with sponsors yeah. and those kind of things, which right. I don't know which recipe is, is correct or if there is a, a right, right or wrong, but it's just a difference in the way that we do. Yeah. Um, endurance sports here, but so then the, uh, lead man, right. So, so yeah. you decided to do, the Leadville 100 mm-hmm. 10 times after doing it twice. Yeah. <laughs> and then what would drive you to do the lead man? So tell us so, what the lead man is. So the, the let, the lead man is, um, participating in, in all of the, the sort of summer offerings that the Leadville race series offers. Mm-hmm. So with the exception of you can choose either the 50 mile bike or the 50 mile run, but you have to do the marathon you have to do either the 50 mile bike or the 50 mile run. And then in a one week span, this is the worst part the one week span, you have to do the hundred mile bike. You have to run a 10 K the next day, which is way harder than it seems like it should be. And then you had to run the hundred mile race the next weekend. So you only get that one week to recover mile foot race, hundred mile foot race. Yep. So what happened with me was the year before I did lead man, I crashed in the Leadville 100. And again, tore my rotator cuff and bicep tendon. So coming down Columbine. So I, I, I finished that race because it just, it didn't really hurt. It just felt like it just felt weird. It ended up being torn. So I got, had that surgically replaced and I, or fixed. And I told myself that it was kind of like when I got hurt before, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to rehab this and I'm going to come back, but I'm not only going to do the bike race again, I'm going to do the whole thing just mm-hmm prove to myself that I'm back. Plus there were two, um, Eagle river fire department guys, which is the Edwards Avon district who had tried to do that run like three or four times and just couldn't, couldn't do it. So then I was like, all right, it must, and these guys were fit. I'm like, well, it must be a pretty decent challenge. And part of me was like, like, I'm going to go just go, just go do it. Yeah. Is there some competitiveness between kind of, yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, these guys can't do it. I'm going to like, <laughs> how great would it be to go just show up and be like, I don't know what big deal is. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm just a super, I'm just super stubborn. 
And I, unfortunately, I have kind of a bad knee and a bad back from football. So I knew I couldn't train um, specifically for the 100-mile run because I would just end up wearing my knee and back out and probably not ever make it to the starting line. Right. So I trained a lot on my bike. I swam. But I didn't run further than the, the required marathon that I had to do. So after I'd run 26.2 miles in the 100-mile race, I was in completely uncharted territory and just just survival mode, essentially. So it was an, it was an interesting experience when I probably will never do again. It was so hard. It, it took, I think I, was, I finished just under 27 hours. So you're moving. I would hesitate to call what I was doing towards the end running, but I was forwardly For moving <laughs> yeah, for that long. It, it took, it took 10 hours to do the first 50 miles and it took me a full 17 hours to like Holy limp my way back. My feet hurt so bad. I lost, lost nine out of 10 toenails. The bottoms of both my feet like peeled off. The skin peeled off as like one big giant blister on the bottom of my feet. I went to the grocery store a couple of days later with Trista. I was wearing these like super comfy socks and my Birkenstocks and I ended up having to get that like kind of grandma cart thing to drive around. I was like, I can't walk. So I drove that thing around. I mean, it was, it had an impact on me. I, I fainted, um, in my hotel room a couple hours after it woke up like pinned next, I had gotten up to take a shower and I like fainted against the wall in the toilet. And I had, um, I was peeing Brown, like it looked like Coke. It was the first thing I've ever done that I felt like went beyond just, uh, it did, it was more than just a cardiovascular muscle musculoskeletal challenge. It was like, I feel like my internal organs are, um, being shutting down, like damaged. Right. It was bad. So, but I did it. I mean, it was, you know, I, f- I yeah. finished it and, and those two guys that I was trying to finish it, didn't finish it. So I was like, <laughs> you showed them. So I, I did it. <laughs> I don't know if it was a smart move on my part or not. But I mean, I tell you what, it gives, it gives you a huge appreciation for people that do more than one of those things and how easy some people can make a hundred miles look. Yeah. It is not, it was not easy for me. And you know, there were people out there that made it look like it was not that big a deal. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see this, this, um, dynamic change right now. Cause it seems like, you know, for so long, hundred mile even a hundred mile bike ride, like a hundred mm-hmm. mile mountain bike ride was a big day. Yeah. And then you, you change that to a run, you know, and you're out there for almost 30 hours. Yeah. And, but now that's even like, you know, like the, the hundred is the new marathon. Yeah. yeah. Ultra marathons, like, like 50 miles or 50 K or hundred K or whatever. Those are just, people just do those now. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable to me that, one that people find that enjoyable in any way sure and two that they can you know that 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 there's that those races exist because there's enough people that want to put themselves through that yeah can do it without it being that big of a deal i did my first 50k this uh in march yeah and yeah i was blown away how hard it was yeah it's it's a long ways a marathon's a long ways even these guys like I, i joke about it but one of them, one of them, I think went out after like 60 some miles and the other guy made it 80 miles. He actually did it this year too. I don't know if he finished, but I'm like, dude, you ran 80 miles. There's, 
no zero yeah. to be ashamed about. Right. Okay, who, who, how many people, if you took a, if you lined up everyone in the United States and just said, just go run until you are done, not many of them would get to the 80 mile mark right. or the 60 mile. Most of them wouldn't probably get past five or 10 miles. And right. so to be able to do that is, is impressive in, in any, you know, if you, you know, making it any distance in that race, mm-hmm. there's a lot of elevation involved in it and just so many components that go into that thing. But that kind of wrecked you for a while, right? Like doing yeah, that. I didn't go back to level for two years. Yeah. I didn't want to see it. I was like, the I, town, like the, the town, the, yeah. anything, no, anything to remember. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I just burnt, I was burned out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, it took a long time. I, I think there's still lingering impacts. I, I had an, uh, issue on Easter where I ended up getting, um, rhabdomyolysis from doing a, just a little event over at the goat gym. Yeah. And I think some of it just has to do with the fact that my kidneys took such a beating during that race that they just don't work as well as they used to. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, I think you and I had this discussion before as well where, you know, we engage in these endeavors, you know, that we consider quote unquote healthy. Yeah. Right. Of like, oh yeah, cycling is healthy. Running is healthy. And and Mm -hmm. you work out hard and work out a lot and that's what you need to do to be, you know, a healthy human is to work out and yeah. uh, move, right? Like um, mm-hmm. daily. And so, but I th- at this at this level, you know, with that 100-mile mm-hmm. run or Leadman or even Leadville 100, just your relationship with it may, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to prove that it's a healthy relationship or a healthy activity right. at that point, yeah. you know? It, because of what you're saying, like yeah, the damage you're doing. Well, there there are reasons why your body and your mind are telling you to to stop running. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're you're hardwired to protect yourself from you know running yourself to death or mm-hmm. doing you know irreparable damage. It's the same way if 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 it was somebody who was just not in great shape and they tried to go run ten miles. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a point where you're you're pushing yourself beyond where you should probably be pushing yourself. And that's a difficult concept for me to grasp because I, I'm a huge believer in the, you know, people's potential and what they can accomplish in life. And that a lot of people, you know, that in general, people can do way more than they think they can. And, and those are examples where you're, where you're overcoming, you're, you're overcoming yourself trying to tell, to remind you like, Hey, this is not a good idea. Like this is, you know, you're supposed to, you're, your piece is supposed to be yellow or really clear, not like it's not supposed to be brown. Right. And there's like the, the, these things that are showing up that are saying that are clues to like, hey man, time to like go get in the go get in the van. But you you push you push yourself through it because 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 we have this mentality of like no I'm I'm gonna get it I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the finish line. Kids help helped me with this a little bit with like um, climbing. Um, like going to climb a 14 or going on a hike or something, I would always be, no, we're getting, we're getting to the top. I don't care if there's a storm coming. I don't care if it's lightning all around us or if, you know, I, I just, I've got a bone sticking out of my ankle or whatever. We're going to the top. And then you have kids and you're like, oh, well, maybe we don't have to get to the top. Maybe there's some enjoyment in just getting halfway or just enjoying the experience a little bit. And so I, tr- I try to adopt that philosophy when possible but there are just certain times when you're like nope i'm gonna i'm gonna persevere through this and and get it done and you got to be careful with that 
that like enjoy the journey element of it you mean is that what you're saying like with the uh, having kids have kind of the kids helped help you with that yeah realize that it's not all about the finish line exactly sure it's the the top of the mountain still going to be there the, the race will be there next year mm-hmm. it's better to have a positive experience to not maybe jeopardize your long-term health um but that in the moment that's a it's hard to convince yourself of that because nobody wants to feel like a like they quit sure you know and and that sometimes feels that's sometimes how it feels yeah so it's it's tough but but you're right there is a point where um you got to be sensible right i say that but it's i'm super hypocritical yeah easy to say say, (laughs) or everyone else has to be sensible i can just continue to be (laughs) nonsensical sensible yeah i feel like i uh run into that a few times with uh clients you know and I'm coaching clients and like yeah. I do as I say not as I do right you know like yeah but that's a question that I get a lot is um you know because I've been getting more and more into these you know longer endurance mm-hmm. races 200 miles and I did it 350 earlier this year yeah and um you know the the big question that I get from folks is the why like why do you yeah. why do you do this what what drives you to to do this and to mm-hmm. train for it and, and to even push yourself during the event. Right. Um, and I, I mean, for me that changes, you know, I mm. think that why has changed over the years. Yeah. And I don't know if that's considered maturity or just different priorities, but right. I think having children is, um, a big part of that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, do you try to clue into that when you're, I mean, for like your prep for Leadville now, mm-hmm. I mean, you've done it enough times and you know what to do. You could probably yeah. kind of roll in there with just kind of your, your baseline fitness do you mean do you feel like that's true that's how this year went i mean this change of jobs limited the my ability to go for long rides so i i had gone the longest ride i went on was uh, three hours and 15 minutes i think and that was kind of an accidental ride anyways it was longer than i had intended did you get lost (laughs) no i actually rode the new meadow mountain trail and i'd ridden up meadow mountain and then back to the the, the forest service place and then back up and I had to meet my family in Eagleville and it just took longer than I thought it was going to take. No. So, but that ended up being my last, my longest race. And it was not that long before Leadville, but like you said, I knew the course and I knew what it took to kind of make it work and where mm-hmm. I could push myself and where I could recover. So that helped. But, um, yeah, at this point I, I just try to find enjoyment in the process and then I, I know during the race that I'm going to be competitive and I'm going to just, you know, the, the, that I kind of just let myself be that way. But I try not to be that way in everyday life. I, I coached Max's hockey team last year, and I had to, about three-quarters of the way through the season, I had to remind myself to back off a little bit on Max in particular because I'm, I'm his dad first and his co- – and I'm, first of all, I don't know first thing about hockey, so I'm here, <laughs> here I am coaching him about – a sport I barely know anything about, but I would I wouldn't give him a break, and I didn't realize it. Yeah, I'd be at home, and we'd I'd tuck him into bed, and be like, "Hey, man, you know, like maybe go a little bit harder tomorrow in practice." I'm like, Tobiro doesn't need like just that's the, the absolute wrong thing to be doing to a 12 year old if you want him to enjoy a sport. Sure, is to constantly let him, you know, not let him enjoy it. You know, they they get a win or or whatever, and he maybe he made a bad pass, and instead of me saying congratulations on the win, I'm like, "Oh man." got to be careful with those passes across the center. I mean, it, it, I have, have had to sort of 
um, come to grips with the fact that I need to be a little more understanding about just life in general and especially with my kids, not be hard on them and push them and they'll push themselves. They just because I like to push myself doesn't mean I need to impart that on, on them and, and take away the enjoyment from them. If they're I want to see that, you know, they're going to, yeah. if you push, if they see you consistently out there pushing yourself and that's exactly that. right. That, that's, that's the approach that I need to take is be a demonstration of how to work hard, but don't be, don't be the autocratic dad, mm-hmm. you know, be a, be a supportive dad and a demonstration of how to like go after things. Sure. But, and it's a tough, it was tough for sure, but I think I'm hopefully getting better at it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that brings up a question about, you know, so you said Max is 12 um, mm-hmm. and he's playing hockey, getting pretty serious yeah. about hockey. Right. Yeah. And, um, and then you with your, your football background, how much of a concern is that with, um, with contact and brain injury? And, and I mean, no, I know it's a hot button topic yeah. right now. I um, mean, it's a, it's a concern. I, I had, I had several concussions and I was, I played in the era where you stumbled off the field and took, took some like smelling salts and you were back on the field. And I have no doubt that I, I have, there have been repercussions from that. I don't know for sure. I, I, um, I still feel like I'm, I'm fine, but who knows? So, so yeah, there's concern and the science has gotten better on it. I think sports like football are doing a, a good job of tempering that trying to teach kids how to tackle in a, in a way that's less risky. Um, hockey as well is, is trying to, they're trying to do their best with that. But I personally feel like the, the benefits far outweigh the risks, Sure. the, the benefits of being on a team. I, I, I gained so much more from being on a team, working on a team, knowing how to work together, knowing how to push myself individually, becoming goal oriented, learning how to, prepare for something, do film study and all these different components of being a part of a, a team sport that, um, that, that you have to take that into consideration too, that there's a huge, there's a huge value to being involved in sports, especially I think at a young age Mm -hmm. and, and there's always going to be a risk, you know, that your life is kind of that way. It's an increased risk when you start to play sports like hockey and football, but, um, I still don't think it's at the point where the risk outweighs the benefit. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, I was never really a contact sport guy. Like I got into running pretty early and then got on the track team and that became, mm-hmm. you know, my, my brotherhood yeah. was being on the track or the, more the cross country team. Cause right. it's a little bit smaller group, yeah. but, um, but no, I know exactly what you mean. Like yeah. that, um, I wouldn't trade that for anything. You know, right. that, that, I mean, some of my best friends still to this day are guys that I've known and, yeah. and run, run with for, for years. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think being a parent, you know, like you said earlier, it really sheds a new light on, yeah. on the, the way that we drive ourselves. Mm-hmm is not necessarily the way we should be driving our children, you know, like, right. Yeah, um, you're right. Encouraging and, um, supporting is, is maybe different than we treat ourselves, you know, like, yeah, 
it's much easier to be harder on ourselves. I think. Yeah, I, I got some advice from a hockey coach um, who who told me what he tells all the parents is that you're allowed to say two things to your kids after the game: "Nice job" and "Are you hungry?" Yeah, and that's it. Let the coaches <laughs> do the rest of it. You know, let the coaches coach the kids. Sure. And you you just make sure that they've got enough to eat and that you told them they, they did a good job. They know you're proud. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, that's the approach I took. It's tough when you're the coach and the dad. Right. But you just have to learn to sort of play each role separately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, you know, the um, the whole purpose, the whole goal of me um, reaching out to you and, and sitting down is just to, um, just to have a chat, you know, and yeah. to be able to hopefully – um, hear some of your words of inspiration and, and things that it, you've experienced throughout your physical, you know, endeavors and, and career, but then also yeah. just to, um, hopefully find ways to help motivate people just with their everyday, everyday challenges, yeah. you know? No, I yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. I think, you know, anything that, um, people can do and in, in what you're doing, specifically to try to encourage people to be better people is good. I mean, this is a crazy world we live in these days and as the more empathy and kindness and gratitude we can encourage, I think the better off we're all going to be. So, um, good for you for taking that initiative. Yeah. Um, on that note, do you, I mean, with, with your kids, do you, do you try and, um, talk about like stress management and things with, with the, the um, 12 and 10 year old? Sort of. Um, my daughter's a little, a little bit more of a spitfire than Max. Yeah. Max, it's almost like I, I try to encourage him to be a little bit more aggressive and get more upset about things. He's pretty even keeled. Blakesley, um, we work on it is it's it's fundamentally simple stuff like hey let's just take a let's just take a break and um go go sit outside for a second or why don't we just take a couple deep breaths or whatever and yeah kids can find their center again pretty quickly sometimes they just have to be kind of encouraged back in the right direction and, and max is the same way usually with him it's um trying to curb any kind of disappointment he may have have over a bad practice or um, a bad day or something just to say, uh, you know, I mean, we, we all have those. Yeah. This is, this is, it's hard. It's a hard lesson to, um, to get kids to understand that, that failures in life are really just these opportunities to, to learn and grow. And that that's, you know, it's the same way your, your muscles, you know, they break down before they grow back up. It's, it's just a natural process. Mm-hmm. Not everybody goes out and, or nobody goes out and they're 100% successful all the time. Getting kids to understand that, that their level of maturity isn't always there, but that doesn't mean you don't at least try. At, at the very least, we just, I'll just distract them with something else, you know, just to get his mind off of it. And we'll, I'll either just, you know, start roughhousing with them or we'll go get ice cream or go mm-hmm. ride bikes or something. So, sure. yeah, you don't want your kids to be upset. But, you, you know, they have to learn how to um, recognize that and, and overcome it and, you know, find some gratitude and opportunity within those things. But that's a, that's a lifelong approach, a lifelong educational process. It's, it doesn't just happen in one, 
like tucking them into bed session or something. Sure. Right. And I think it's just, it's just an interesting climate that we're in with, um, uh, you know, with my daughter, you know, she's 12 as well. And, um, the, I don't, I don't feel like confronting your emotions is really something that people or, or children her age or even, mm-hmm. you know, adults, most adults yeah. our age are, are willing and able to do, Yeah, you know? And I think that, um, figuring out a way to help, um, the next generation kind of understand that, yeah, emotions mm-hmm. are a thing yeah. and it's okay to be emotional and to have these emotions and experience them, Yeah, but it's how you react from those emotions that yeah. is really critical. It's tricky. My wife's much better at it than I am. I'm, I'm a <laughs> emotion suppressor. <laughs> like I just bury things deep within me and then go out in the garage and hit the punching bag or something and try yeah. to do it that way. But you're, you're right. I think it's going to be, that's going to be a key, um, part of the next, you know, the next generation's life is figuring out how to deal with emotions, dealing with loss and tragedy and being scared about things that we were never scared about. It's, a lot of challenges coming up for for youth that it's going to be our responsibility to sort of help them guide help guide them through those yeah i think maybe more so than ever before as a as a as a parental generation mm-hmm. you know i think it's probably going to be um more challenging than like you were saying it's stuff that we didn't have to learn or be concerned about as when we were kids mm-hmm. um we're, now we're having to you know parent yeah. And, and, uh, guide kids, uh, our, our children yeah. in a way that we were never have had to be guided, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's all kind of, um, new area or like uncharted, like you said before, uncharted yeah. waters, you know? Yeah. Um, so, well, cool, man. I really appreciate you making the time yeah. and, and coming by. So, uh, of course. Yeah. thanks for, thanks for coming in. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Cool.